today's podcast is is perfect for precarious parenting. It's um, a story of of resilience, grit, love, hope, um, and it and it's all about uh, Lorena Troy, who's based in Nevada, in the USA, and uh, her second baby actually had benign external hydrocephalus but the medical services thought that the baby had shaken baby syndrome and this story looks at how Lorena had her children removed how her her family broke down how she fought and fought to have this misdiagnosis uh, misproven and how she reclaimed her family and and actually since then she's won uh, an award for her advocacy for her work and she's changed the law in texas and she's now looking at changing the law both um, the federal law in the usa and um, globally i really really think you'll enjoy this one hi lorena hi marie Uh, Thank you so much for coming on to Precarious Parenting, and uh, I'm really, really interested in sharing your story. So before that, could you just give us a picture of who you are and where you live and, you know, who's in your family, that kind of thing? Sure. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I really appreciate it and for taking the time to speak with me today. I currently live in Nevada. It's in the United States. Um, I have three children. I'm an author and founder and CEO of my own company called Pure Beauty by Lorena and Lorena Candles. And I'm also a national advocate for families that have been through a misdiagnosis of their child. And sometimes there's also wrongful removal. And I've also met with over 10 lawmakers to try to work to have legislation passed that can allow parents a second opinion before a wrongful and traumatic removal of their children. And and how many children do you have? I have three children, two boys and a girl. Oh, wow. And, and we actually just met one earlier, didn't we? And she might, who knows, might pop back in again. Um, <laughs> yes. So, I, you know, really want to hear your story in as much detail as you want to, you know, start from the beginning and just tell us what happened. Okay. Um, when I was pregnant with my second son, I went for an ultrasound. And the technician told me that his head was measuring two weeks larger than normal in utero. And I was about 34, almost 35 weeks pregnant. And I was concerned and she seemed concerned that his head was measuring two weeks larger than normal in utero. Um, But it didn't seem like it was an issue because she told, she sent everything to my doctor and they never said anything. So I figured everything was okay. And when he was born, um, he just, Something seemed kind of off. He seemed kind of lethargic. The doctors at the hospital were acting kind of weird because they kept trying to keep us longer than normal. And um, at about, so when he was about four weeks old or so, or five weeks, he started vomiting. So I was taking him into his pediatrician, asking them why they just said, he might just have a stomach bug, he should be fine. <clears throat> and sent us, sent us home with Pedialyte. And then a few weeks later, he started vomiting again. I took him to his pediatrician. Then I took him to urgent care. And then he was also taken to the ER at the doctor's, I mean, at the children's hospital. And all of them just said, you know, he probably just has a stomach bug. Just give him PELA. He should be fine. And we also noticed that his head was measuring larger than normal since birth. You know, it's continuing to get larger. 
and was told his pediatrician and she said he should be fine. Um, maybe he just needs more tummy time or something like that. And uh, at about four and a half months, his pediatrician did say, you know, his head is continuing to get larger than normal. Just take him to the children's hospital to have images taken. <coughs> and I asked her, you know, do you, th do you think they're going to keep him or anything? And she said, no, he should be fine. They're probably just going to take images. So I stayed home with my second, with my first son to take care of him. And um, I wasn't feeling very well at the time as well because I was I had this um, infection called mastitis. It's common, you know, with breastfeeding. So I stayed home with him. I wasn't feeling well, but I was taking care of my oldest son. And then my children's father took my son to the children's hospital and called me. And he said, they took images of our, our son's head and they found fluid in his head and a little bit of blood. So right away, they wrongfully accused and assumed that my son had been shaken. They said, you know, we really think that your son has been shaken. So then they contacted CPS, CPS came to the hospital and I, I went to the hospital and I was talking to the doctors. I spoke with a pediatric neurosurgeon and I told them my son has never been hurt in any way. Could this be something else, you know, like a medical condition? And he told me yes, but since he's a baby and can't talk, we're just going to go with abuse and walked away. So then CPS came to the hospital, they interrogated us, asked, asked us a bunch of questions. Um, I was really worried about my son because he needed to have uh, neurological surgery to, to drain the fluid with an external VP shunt. So they drained, they drained the fluid um, and they had us sign a safety plan. <clears throat> they wrongfully accused my children's father. They thought he did it. So they made him move out of the house. Um, I had to have someone with me at home at all times to be with my children. Um, and when I took my son, after that first neurological surgery, I took him back for a checkup a few weeks later and they said that the humid the the fluid reaccumulated and he has a chronic condition so i asked them you know why does he have this chronic condition they said we don't know and that was it so then uh, he had to have a second neurological surgery to have an internal vp shunt placed for his chronic condition and then um, i was taking my son to other physicians to try to get a second opinion to try to have him correctly diagnosed because I felt that he could receive the best medical care if he had the correct diagnosis. And I knew he was never hurt in any way. And there had to be some other explanation for this, um, like a some type of a medical condition. So I took him to doctors all over Texas. Um, I even took him to doctors in Oklahoma. He saw another neurologist, pediatric neurosurgeon, rheumatologist, geneticist. Um, I was just really trying to get a correct diagnosis for his well-being. And CPS actually wrongfully took both of my children from me. They said that I didn't take him to see the doctors that they wanted him to see, but I was taking him to see doctors. And he also had a, um, a wellness check. So they, they made things up to have my children wrongfully removed from me. Um, and it, it was just, that was the worst day of my life when CPS and the sheriffs just knocked on the door and just, they took my baby. He was only six months old at the time and my four-year-old. And it was very traumatizing for my children and myself, you know, to just have them come in and just rip your children from your arms and just take them. And they placed them in the foster care system. I, I hired two attorneys and the attorneys fought to have my children placed with family because they're supposed to be. And the judge said, no, they're going into foster care and she gave no reason. My four-year-old lost 20 pounds within only six weeks of being taken. Um, the 
the medical records from the pediatrician said that he showed signs of sadness and depression also from being separated from uh, his parents, from, from my, my children's father and I, and my baby, he lost a lot of weight too. And I was told that he would cry all day in foster care. He also missed appointments because CPS kept moving them around within only five months. They moved him three times in the foster care system. So he missed appointments with his neurosurgeon and images that he was supposed to be taken. And then finally, after five months, um, CPS did say, you know, the children are traumatized. We feel that's in the best interest of the children to return them to me. And um, after a year, that case was closed. They closed, they dismissed that case. They also brought on um, some serious felony charges for my, my son's father. He is wrongfully charged with two felonies of injury to a child. So he had to fight for his innocence for two and a half years. And it was just very stressful and traumatizing to have to have your children taken, you know, go through family court. And then he had to also fight in criminal court. We had to spend over $80,000 in attorney fees. We had to sell our home to help cover the mounting attorney fees. Um, we had to max out credit cards, you know, just anything we could to pay for these attorneys. So not only are, are the families being traumatized from having their children wrongfully removed and the children are very traumatized from being placed in foster care with strangers, um, the, the families are spending 80 to hundreds of thousands, even a million in attorney fees to fight for their children and to fight for their innocence. Because not only are the children being wrongfully removed, they're also wrongfully charging the parents and caregivers with, with serious felonies. Um, I also know of a, a woman right now, her name is Tanya Illich, I, L-L-I-C, I believe. She just got wrongfully convicted for 16 years for a child that they say she abused, but she didn't. The medical expert said that um, she did not abuse the child. It's most likely like a medical condition or an accident. She's innocent, but the judge wrongfully convicted her of 16 years. And she has two small daughters as well. So I've been really trying to raise awareness for her as well as to try to help innocent people that like Tanya, who had been wrongfully convicted of 16 years to help them hopefully be exonerated someday. And then to try to help these children that have been wrongfully removed and placed in the foster care system to be returned to their parents. So that's why I try so hard to raise awareness and it helps to have our stories, you know, in podcasts and the news and the media, because it helps add steam and traction to some much needed changes. Well, I, I get that. And, um, and I'm so, so pleased to be able to talk to you and be a, a small part of that traction. Thank you. Um, and, and before we talk about all the work you've done to raise awareness and to um, support other families, can we just stick with your story for a bit? Yes, for sure. I mean, there's so much. There's so much that has happened. There's so much. There's so much. In the past seven years. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, CPS in the UK means something else, I think. Is that like Child Protection Services in the States, CPS? Yes. Yes, they're referred to as CPS, Child Protection Services, or DFPS, Department of Family Protective Services. And I've also been... Uh, contacted from families in the UK as well, where you are, and Australia, India, Norway, all over the United States. Just it's happening so much more often than people are aware of, where children are being misdiagnosed with abuse, but they have honest to medical conditions. And it's it's been really tough in a lot of families. 
Well, that's what I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, I mean, absolutely, of course, the medical profession and, and child services professions, of course, they have to be vigilant. Of course, there are many, many cases out there where children suffer, you know, fatal, terrible, you know, abuse. Absolutely. But I'm sitting here listening to you and, and feeling a sense that it was lazy from the medical well, profession. The thing is, there was zero evidence of any child abuse with my son. He had right. no bruising, no broken bones, nothing. And they could have, you know, sent his images to a specialist, which later on I had to, we had to do. Um, for um, It took two and a half years to, have, to find a medical expert through our attorneys who looked at all my son's in, images and medical records. And he finally gave a correct diagnosis. We found, we found the correct diagnosis after two and a half years. He actually had a, a birth injury, so a complication at birth. And he has a medical condition called benign external hydrocephalus. And when a child has that con medical condition, they're predisposed to subdural hemorrhages. You know, that's, they, they just assume automatically a child has been shaken, but there are, are many medical conditions that can explain oh. what happened. And there, yeah. I find that oftentimes doctors aren't looking for these medical conditions. Like even children can have genetic conditions like Ehlers-Danlos syndrome where their bones break easily and they're never abused, but they're also you know, misdiagnosing those children as well. Well, I, I said to you before we hit record that I worked with a uh, a lady and we were, you know, friends for, for many years and her son had what we would call brittle bone disease. I, I, I think it's brittle bone disease. And and he was taken into our A&E, you know, often for uh, fractured wrists and things like that. And 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 the same thing happened not sorry not the same thing not in any way to the extent of yours but she was interviewed by our our children's services and the the medical teams were, were thought that the parents were doing this harm actually he was a lad with brittle bones and nobody had picked that up yes exactly yeah the, pro the problem is there there are these child abuse pediatricians that they have in doctors all over the united states and nation and worldwide and um, my medical expert said that the child abuse pediatrician was not properly trained or qualified to read images correctly. And if she was, she would have been able to correctly diagnose my son herself. So the, the doctors that they have as child abuse all that time. Yes, they're not correctly trained or qualified, like he said, to read images correctly and to correctly diagnose the children. So that's it's a huge problem in hospitals nationwide in the United States and also in other countries as well. Right. But what about the fact that you, you know, you're the pediatrician was noticing an increase in head size during the first four, four months. That's the kind of lazy yeah. bit. I'm they, kind of yeah, they, they just ignored that because I told them that as well. I said, you know, his head was measuring larger than normal since birth. And that's what the, the medical expert even said. He even said, you know, the accelerated head growth like he already had a large head at birth. It was in the 90, I believe like 95th percentile, which is really high. So it indicates that his head was already large at birth and then it consistently grew larger since birth. So that's where, you know, they, they should have seen that it was related to his birth. Right. Yeah, I can, I can see that. I can, goodness. So I'm, 
I want to ask you a question and it sounds so silly, <laughs> but like, I just want to ask you about the, the challenges that you faced during that whole time. Now, it all sounded like a massive challenge. I mean, to have your children removed, to fight for them. I mean, yes. you know, you know, having to sell your home, you know, your, your, your partner, the father, the children's father, you know, when you look back at, back at it now, what, what was what were the most challenging elements of the whole challenge? By far, the worst day of my life was when my children were wrongfully removed from me yeah. to have CPS and the sheriff just show up, knock on the door, and just you know take my baby out of my arms and my four-year-old as well. He's he's really scared and he's like, "Mama, are they going to hurt me?" And I just said, "No, but we just I'm so sorry. We have to listen." And it was just so heartbreaking, you know, to, to heal from that as a mother took years. And even for my children, the trauma from just being them being taken out of their home and placed with strangers in the foster care system greatly affected them. Um, that was the worst experience and hardest thing that I had to go through. And then to not have them for five months. Now, as a mother, you're so used to having your children every day and taking care of them and not knowing where they are or who they're with or if they're being taken care of well. <clears throat> and if they're scared, you know, being strangers in a different home um, every day for five months was so heartbreaking. And I just, I had to lean on my faith and prayer to just be strong, to help get me through that, to help fight for them, to get them back home. And then just to try to have my son correctly diagnosed to have answers because I knew he was never hurt. And it took two and a half years. I was looking up all kinds of things online taking him to different doctors all over Texas and even Oklahoma and, and just, just try to find the correct diagnosis for him to get the best care possible. That was also a huge challenge. And he had to go through two neurological surgeries as well as all of this, you know, going on is just very heartbreaking and, and challenging. And then their father was wrongfully charged with two felonies. So we had to, you know, fight through family and family court for, our innocence and for our children. And then he had to fight for his innocence because um, he was charged with wrongfully charged with two felonies and um, selling our home was, it was horrible, but we had, we had to, you know, I would have given anything to have my children back and to fight for them with attorneys. Attorneys are great, but you know, the attorney fees are very expensive to retain an attorney. It could be $15,000 just to retain them. And then to hold on to them for two and a half years, they have to keep going to court and filing, um, you know, documents with the court. It's a lot, but the, those were like the main challenges to just to have my children wrongfully removed. Like they were so traumatic for myself and my children by far and to fight for innocence and to just navigate through that whole system. Because once you have child protective services in your life, it's you, you have this magnifying glass on you. So you have to make sure you do everything correctly. I had to go they wanted me to the, us to have psychological evaluation. We had to go to therapy. We had to take parenting classes. You have to follow, you know, everything that they say, and you have to make sure you do everything that they say. Otherwise, they can threaten to never return your children. Wow, which did happen. Wow. And how are you and and the 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 father of your children now? Are you? You know, I think. Did you say that you've you're not together anymore? Or? Yeah, we're we're not together anymore. Um, but we we were together for twelve and a half, thirteen years. It's just sometimes people also have like different personalities, and 
you know, every, when you go through that situation, it's very stressful. So, but we're doing very well, you know, co-parenting and taking the best care of our children as well. Um, it's well, just, it's very challenging to have to go through that and just life in, in general. I can't, <laughs> I can't imagine. Well. I can't imagine. And I think most people couldn't even possibly imagine your story, which is why it's so great that you're so able to share it, you know, in the detail that you have. Um, yes. Thank you. So, so here you are now, or, or or you have been for the last couple of years, and you decided to to be an advocate. To, to you weren't you weren't just content with having your family back and trying to pick up the pieces. You were like, no, this isn't right. Somebody yes. has to do something about this. So, so, exactly. so, so tell us, you know, what happened then for you and the journey that you went on as an advocate. I, I took about, I think it was like a year, a little less to try to heal from the trauma from having my children wrong from, wrongfully removed. I also wrote a book called Miracles of Faith. Um, and it, it's to help share a story, raise awareness, and hopefully help other families that have been through a similar situation or anyone going through anything challenging in general. Um, writing that book was also a healing process because normally we tend to try to keep everything inside because mm-hmm. it's so painful and traumatic. Um, it's best to speak about it as much as you can and then write about it so that was you know a step towards the healing process um uh, my story did go nationwide in the united states in 2019 i met with a national reporter and i've been meeting with over 10 lawmakers senators state representatives um mayor and just the when our, when the news and the media get our story out there and help share a story and raise awareness, it helps steam and traction to some much needed changes. Because if people don't know that this is a huge problem, we can't try to work together and try to fix it. So that's why it's so important to share stories and raise awareness. And when I had a meeting with a state representative, and he's the chair also for the state representatives, I believe it's the Human Human Services Committee in Texas. So I had a meeting with him at the Capitol building in his office in Austin, Texas. And then um, I shared our story with him and he also met with a news reporter with NBC News and he was very aware that this is a huge problem. And then he called and his assistant called and personally invited me to share my testimony testimony in a legislative hearing at the Capitol building in Austin, Texas, um, I believe is in 2019. And that ha- with sharing my story and other families also sharing their stories and organizations, having us all work together to fight for changes, we were able to have a law passed uh, just this past September. It took two and a half years to allow parents a second opinion before wrongful and traumatic removal of the children. And I just hope that there can be a national and federal law someday that would allow that. And even worldwide, because it's I was contacted by families where you are in the UK, India, Norway, Australia. It's happening so often worldwide. Yeah. And have you come across any other countries that do have this, this, um, you know, it's just, it's just, so I'm guessing that's coming in Texas, but that doesn't mean it's federal. That means it's state law. Does yes, it? exactly. Yes, exactly. And that's why I've been really trying to raise, raise awareness with the news and the media and through podcasts so that we hopefully can get a national law someday because families are contacting me all over the United States and in other countries. It's happening so often. We, there's a petition with over 4,000 signatures of families that have been through this in, in the United States. And that's just of the families that we've been in contact with, with through the Family Justice Resource Center. And I'm, I'm so sure that 
it's been happening to more families and it doesn't just happen to a certain particular parent you know it's happening to doctors nurses engineers people in the military and the government people in the medical field as well have contacted me and they're just you know shocked because they're saying we're in the medical field as well and we're also being wrongfully accused of abuse but our child has a medical condition and even when there is a medical expert saying that this is not abuse this is a medical condition cps and and the judges can also ignore that and go with their medical experts that are saying it's abuse so it's it's a very there's so much up against you when you're going through this situation because also they have unlimited resources to hire attorneys to fight against you but families are having to you know sell their homes like we had to max out credit cards get donations you know because it's thousands of dollars in, in legal fees where you have to fight for your innocence and fight for your children to have them re, um, return to you. It's it's just such a horrible situation to have to go through. But and it could be avoided. Um, sorry, it's um, I'm just sitting here thinking that, you know, the courts are seeing the child or the children as the victim, but, you know, actually you, you guys are the victim. Yes, it, they have, out here they have CASA, it's a child advocate. Sometimes they really do help, you know, with the children because they're supposed to be an advocate for the children. Um, in our, sometimes it's tough because they take their, their side and just, you know, assume it's abuse too. But in our situation, CASA really helped us. You know, they met with us and they even said, you know, this doesn't seem right. And they went into the CPS building and they looked at my son's files and they told me, we found no evidence of abuse. When, after looking through all your children's files. So we're going to try to have this case dismissed. And they fought for us and have had the case dismissed. But unfortunately, you know, that doesn't happen often enough. And there's no advocates for the parents. There's It's great that they have advocates for the children, but the parents are going through so much as well, especially when they're wrongfully charged with some serious felonies, when they're in fact innocent. Well, that's, that's, that's where I'm going in my mind in this conversation, because it's like, not only are you having to fight for your own innocence, I suspect there's a backlash on social media and, you know, there's, I can't imagine. I know that if somebody in the UK or there have been many circumstances where somebody in the UK has been wrongfully accused, but the local community all assume guilt. Yes. Yes. And it's all over the news and the media. So yeah. they automatically assume this person abused their child, but Honestly, whenever I see that as well, because I see that here in the United States, that there's some stories that, oh, this child was abused. I'm also like, okay, that is a possibility, but also do, could this child have a medical condition? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm sitting here thinking. There's, 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 there's fear, there's shame, there's guilt. You have to become uh, a lawmaker. Sorry, a law. You have, sorry. Yeah. You have to understand the law. You know, suddenly yes. you have to become a, a, a lawyer. Um, yeah, I mean, exhaustion. Yes, but also um, our rights are being violated. Yeah. The parents' rights are being violated because it's defamation of character. It's wrongful accusations. Even, especially the children's rights, civil rights are being violated. This is a violation of the children's Fourth Amendment, which is wrongful search and seizure of the government. So if they're wrongfully removing children that have been misdiagnosed with abuse, but they actually have a medical condition, the children's civil rights are being violated. Yeah. That's what I've been told by an attorney as well. 
Yeah, and yeah. sometimes they can, the parents can file lawsuits on behalf of their children because their so their children's civil rights have been violated. Yeah, it's their Fourth Amendment. So, goodness, and and the felony charges they all they were all dropped. So it's not yes. like the After father. Two and a half years, they yeah. were dismissed. Oh, yes, but it, it was a very long, long fight for his yeah. innocence. Yeah. So, how hopeful are you for a federal law covering all I'm very, I'm very hopeful um that's why I, I keep having to share my story in the news and the media we've been on several news stations in Texas and then national it went our story went nationwide to news stations all over in 2019 our story has been in people magazine NBC news fox 7 austin kxan um is also a scripts I believe it's Scripps National News. That's when our story went nationwide. And then recently I had a um, an interview with an insider. They also published our story as well in Yahoo News. It's it's just great to, it's not easy to talk about and to share stories when families have to like ours, but it's so important to raise that awareness because that way we can work together to try, for, try to fight for changes. And it does add steam and traction for some much needed changes. And that's the whole point for me of this. I was so thrilled when you got in contact because the whole point of precarious parenting is for other people to say, oh, hold on a minute. It might not just be me. There yes. might be other people who I can, I, who might be able to help me or I can learn from, or at least, oh my gosh, you know, I'm not the only one experiencing this. Yes, so, the support is so important too. Oh, yeah. So you've I've been won- contacted by so many families. I lost count over the years. I bet. I, I absolutely bet. And we're gonna we're gonna capture your contact details and how people can find you and your book and and I'll get all that in the show notes. So you you were awarded the Child Advocacy of the Year Award in 2022 by the Family Justice Resource Center. Yes. I have that I have that award right here. So, oh, it's beautiful. So it's a really nicely presented uh it's a beautiful award yeah and so so an ingrateful appreciation of 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 the work that you've done yes it says incredible and grateful appreciation for your commitment to protecting children and exonerating innocent families and i I was just so thankful um michelle she's the executive director of this of the family justice resource center she called me and she's um she's like hey you know i've seen all of your work you know that you've been doing to help families and to um, work for work towards le- changes in legislation to try to help exonerate innocent parents and you know help have children that have been wrongfully removed returned. And she just said, you know, is there any way that we could give this award for you for the year of 2022? 2022? And I just said, yes, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. Um, I wish the other families too that have been working, you know, to try to create changes can also get awards. I was I was surprised and I was just very thankful. Yeah, I and I love that because I wondered if there was a bit of sweetness to it, you know, that you got the award after going through such a terrible traumatic time, but you know, the award is really celebrating the huge effort that you've put in on behalf of other families, so I can really see that. And and, and okay. congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. It was just really tough for me to to just know that more children and families are going through this horrible situation. I, I just couldn't sit and be quiet about it. I just had to try to fight for changes and yeah. join with other families and 
organizations to try to fight for families too and for changes because it's it's just a horrible situation to have to go through and it could be prevented you know if if there's a medical expert that can look at the child and all the medical you know paper the records and the images you know it could be avoided if they're if they hire a medical expert to correctly diagnose children yeah so listen if there was one message that you want to send out to you can choose whether it be governments or whether it be parents you know whatever the message is what would it be uh it would be to lawmakers you know nationwide and worldwide can we please have a second opinion like we we had the law passed in texas a second allow the parents a second opinion before wrongful and traumatic removal of the children because yes. this affects affects families for it's for their for its lifelong impacts so yes. this will affect my children and i forever you know it's it's not something that'll ever go away the trauma and ptsd that the parents go through and the children through this situation it affects them for the rest of their lives yeah yeah well bravo really i mean it sounds such a flippant thing to say but bravo i'm in absolute awe of you i really am so as we as we wrap up um could we just capture how people can get in contact with you is it a website is it an email let's get that down now and also how would people find your book miracles of faith so you know let's capture that information thank you um i'm on facebook if they just look up author dash lorena troy l-o-r-i-n-a-t-r-o-y i'm on facebook if they would like to i get messages through facebook um from families that are going through similar situations Mm -hmm. um pretty often and then also my book is on www.westbowpress.com w-e-s-t-b-o-w-p-r-e-s-s.com and that's directly through my publishing company and they just type in miracles of faith by lorena troy and they could download it right away or order the hard copy and it's free shipping within 48 states of the united states as well and I, I wrote that to share our story, raise awareness, and hopefully help other families. And whenever I have had meetings with senators, state representatives, the mayor, um, I've given them free copies of my book, too, to just share our story and raise awareness. And hopefully there can be national and even worldwide changes someday to help children I and families. I That's really what I hope for. <laughs> well, Lorena, you... you Thank you so much. Keep doing what you're doing, you know, please. And on behalf of anybody who's listening to this podcast who resonates with your story, you know, thank you so much for your courage and your your bravery of just by keeping sharing it. Thank you so much. I had to find strength and courage in, in like the worst situation I've ever had to be in in my entire life to just try to fight for the children's rights and the parents' rights. And it's just... It's such a horrible situation to have to go through, and it breaks my heart that so many people are going through this. You know, not it's people aren't aware that this is happening a lot more often than it is nationwide and worldwide. So we just continue to hope and pray and fight for changes for children and families. Yeah, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Dean Marie. I really appreciate you having me on your podcast. Thank you so much. listening to precarious parenting by realization works subscribe to realizationworks.com to access more resources including monthly blogs written to be shared with younger people